section 75 of Uncollected Short Stories by Lucy Maud Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Mike Overby, Midland, Washington. Uncollected Short Stories of L. M. Montgomery by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Story of a Love the june night moonlight must have an intoxicating quality it is a fine airy silver wine such as fairies may drink at their revels unharmed of it but when a mere mortal sips it it straightway mounts to his brain and loosens all his old fair dreams and visions to the undoing of his daylight common sense tonight i feel i dwell in a world of beauty and love ruler by right of heirship and possession a world shaped out of the moonlight, and my sweetest fancies, and therefore a world wherein I may think of her, without doing violence to the sacredness of the thought of her. I walk in the alleys of this old garden. The moonlight is lying on the grass, and a little invisible wind is tiptoeing all over it. All about me are roses, like sweet old songs set to flowering, roses white enough to lie in her bosom and red enough to star the soft dark cloud of her hair. It was among the roses I first saw her, in that other old garden adjoining mine, just beyond the box hedge. Today two women asked me if I had ever really loved. One of them was a woman of the world, who should have known better, and to her I made the answer accordingly. Madam, a poet such as you are good enough to term me, little as I deserve the name, should not love one woman personally, because he loves all impersonally. Your sex is to him a beautiful enigma, whose meaning he must ever seek and never find, and until he does find it, he should not bind down his quest to the pursuit of one. She smiled as if she did not believe me, which was no more than I deserved, since I did not believe myself, but she asked no more questions. The other woman was a mere child, tiptoeing wistfully on the brink of her birthright, and her question was that of a child who has not learned that it is unfitting to be curious. I honored her just departing childhood with its meed of sincerity. I have loved, and love still, and shall always love, I said gravely, and she, too, smiled as if she did not believe me. Yet I had told her the simple truth, here in this wondrous white moonlight I realize how truly I spoke. I love with a love too fine and untainted to be put into words. It should be put only into the most reverent thoughts. It is my delight so to think of Avril. She is a woman now. She was a child when I saw her. Yet I do not think of her as a child. My love has kept pace with her unseen growth in that land across the sea, walking into womanhood. It is as woman I think of her, as woman I shall meet her when our meeting comes, as come it must and will. Love must fulfill its own prophecy, and all that is my own shall come to me in the ripeness of time. I would not hasten it or rush impatiently to meet it. Yet I have wooed her in my poems. I do not know if she has read them, but if she has, she must know that I love her. She must know that I wrote them because of her and by inspiration of her, that I have crowned her my queen of song. Some day I hope to hear her tell me 
that she has understood. It is twelve years since I saw her. I was a boy of twenty then, a shy, awkward youth, knowing nothing of the real world, but much of the world of dream and fancy, with a heart virgin of any woman's image, and lips virgin of any woman's kiss. I had been wandering one evening in this garden, and I had come to the box hedge that formed its boundary. There was a little gap in it, where a footpath ran into the garden of our neighbor, and, standing there, I saw her wonderful face, turned upward to the sunset. She was a child in everything, save her eyes. Only ten sweet years had gone into the making of her. The slender little figure, the thick braid of dark hair, the delicate brows, the parted, dimpled mouth. These were of a child. But her eyes, her glorious eyes, were a woman's eyes. The woman who was mine, with all their prophecy of the one whom I was to love, nay, whom I loved then, although knowing eyes, full of sweetness and graciousness and dream, foretold of her. I knew the child must be Avril Sidney, the daughter of our neighbor. He was a man who preferred life abroad and lived there for the most part, leaving his estate to the mercy of housekeepers and stewards. His wife had died early in their married life, and her little daughter was brought up by her sister. Cecil Sidney was home for a brief sojourn. Avril had come to visit him, and I had met her thus in the rose garden. She looked at me gravely, smilelessly, yet her whole expression was a smile and there was a sweet, beguiling laughter in her eyes. I, who had always loved children, and been at ease with them, found myself shamed-faced and shy in her presence. Perhaps she saw my confusion. Those eyes must have read my very heart, for she broke a white, half-open rose from its bush, and held it out to me. I took it as wordlessly as she offered it, then someone in the house called to her, and she was gone. But at the curve of the walk she paused for a moment and looked back, with a little gesture of goodbye. I have never seen her since, but tidings of her have drifted to me every year. I knew when she went abroad to join her father. They have lived in Europe for the past six years. All this time she must have been growing into the promise of her eyes, and my love has grown with her. It has consecrated every word I have written. My critics have tried to dissect my poems and find therein that strange, elusive soul of love, which, they declare, animates them, then they cannot find it. It is in her keeping, and can be made incarnate only in her loveliness. I have heard that she is very beautiful, yet I have felt no jealousy, no fear of other men. She is not for any other. She belongs to me. I have the key of her heart, and it must remain a fair and tenantless chamber until I may enter it as inheritance. The July Night I walk again in the moonlight. It is calm, like an untroubled silver sea, bearing softly on its breast a fleet of poppies, for the roses have gone, and the poppies have taken their places. But I cannot share the calm of the moonlight. I am shaken, tossed about with hope and fear. I have heard today that Avril and her father are coming home, I shall see her again. But what shall I see? The Avril of my dreams? Or another? All my certainty is gone. I am distracted with doubts. Have I deceived myself all these years? Have I given myself over to the beguilement of a vain dream? And is the moment of a miserable awakening near? 
Perhaps Avril, the woman, has not fulfilled the promise of Avril, the child. I fear I dread to meet her. If she be not my Avril, how shall I bear it? I shall have wasted my love and lavished my soul on a mere creation. What do I know of her? Nothing, save that as a child she seemed to me the unfolded bloom for me alone, a poet's vain ideal, perhaps, destined to be shattered by contact with the real. She may be beautiful, but her beauty will be nothing to me if it is not the beauty I have dreamed of and worshipped. What if, when we meet, her eyes express only a girl's coquetry, or a stranger's indifference? I cannot, I will not believe it possible. Yet I shall dwell till our meeting in a miserable suspense and doubt, which yet I shall shrink from exchanging for a still more miserable certainty. How the poppies dance in the moonlight, the light-hearted silken coquettes, I love them not. Yet if she should be like them, instead of if she should be a beautiful and scentless flower? Nay, it is impossible. I shall have faith in those remembered eyes. The August Night it is the time of lilies. Tonight they are holding up their chalices of gold and crimson and frosty white to be filled with the moonshine. Now and then the air is sweet with their breath, as if the angels walked invisibly in this garden and swung censers of perfume in their hands. I love the lilies, but I love the roses better, and she, my love, is like the white rose. Last night the old house in the next garden blazed with light. I knew that this betokened the coming of Avril and her father. This morning I rose at sunrise and went for a walk, seeking calmness wherewith to face this day of destiny. I thought myself alone in a young world, but as I went down a wooded hill, all green with pines and breasting the east, I saw a girl at the curve of the path, looking down the long, dewy valley, abloom with the sunrise. Its light was all about and around her, smiting her bared dark head with a glory of delicate rays. As I drew near, she turned, and I knew her. Avril. My Avril. The Avril of my dreams and love. How fair, how very fair she was, and her eyes were unchanged, for they could not be more lovely than they had always been, nor could they be less. Avril, I said, helplessly, foolishly, like a boy. She held out her hand to me, simply and joyfully. It is Paul. I am glad to see you. Why did you not come to welcome us home last night? I was afraid to, I said. Avril, do you remember our first, our last meeting years ago in the Rose Garden? I remember, she said a beautiful flush coming into her face. I feared to meet you again, lest you had forgotten, I said, because I have never forgotten, Avril. I thought from your poems that you remembered, she answered. We walked home together over the pine path and the hill and talked of many things such as all the world might have listened to. But underneath this commonplaceness was a gladness and a joy that spoke in tone and eye and smile. Therefore tonight I walk in the moonlight, championed with happiness. Beyond, in that other garden, 
Avril waits, and I go to join her. End of section 75